This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. You're listening to Keep Screaming, a horror podcast from two best friends dissecting horror movies one by one. My name is Ryan Larson. And my name is B-Bass. Every two weeks, we will bring you a brand new episode where we dissect a slasher film from top to bottom. We will look at the movie as a whole, going over the story, the casting, music choices, go kill by kill, and then rank it on how it succeeds as a slasher film. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ScreamingCast or by searching Keep Screaming. You can find me at B not B, that's B-E-E, not B-E-A, and Ryan at Ryan Larson. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and CastBox, or online at podpeople.me or keepscreaming.com. This week, we are dissecting 1992's Candyman, directed by Bernard Rose, but first our pop culture check-in. For new listeners, our pop culture check-in is a chance for you to get to know what we've been watching, reading, and consuming outside of our movie this week, as well as life updates. I didn't watch that much. Um, I went to Beer Fest this weekend and got very drunk. And I'll be cool off beer for a minute now. Uh, but yeah, I was just even looking at my letterbox and I just haven't watched a lot, I guess. Um, I watched all three of the Candyman movies. And we're obviously going to talk about one of them today. And then I watched the High Fidelity TV show on Hulu, which I loved. I, like, binged it um, with Zoe Kravitz um, and what's his name from The Office? He's in, like, the last season of The Office. He plays Pete. He's, like, a main character in it. Uh, but it was really oh. good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it does exactly what the movie did, which is, like, ties music into very, like, intimate parts of your life and relationships and, like, how songs relate to those. Um so I really enjoyed it because I'm very much like that as well. Um, and it's cool because just like in the show and in the movie, like, so they gender swap it. So, um, you know, Zoe Kravitz is still playing essentially the same character that John Cusack plays, but obviously female. So from the female perspective, but both characters, um, like music is so important to them, but they don't play music, which I'm the same way. Um, and I've always felt weird about that, that because like, I mean, everyone listens to music. Like, I get that. Like, people listen to music. But, like, music is a very, very huge part of my life. And, like, I spend a lot of time making playlists and, like, finding songs that find, like, I have a lot of meaning to me. So I've always just kind of been like, yeah, but I don't play music. Um, so I relate a lot to those characters. Because they don't play music either. But the way they relate music to their lives is very much how I do that, too. So check that out. It's on Hulu. Um, and then... I watched the first two two episodes of Little Diggy's new show, Dave, and that's pretty much all I did. Um, like I, just for that stuff, I've been working a lot on like on my own site stuff and like kind of branching out. And I've been writing for a couple other places now. Um, I guess I'll self plug. I don't do it too often. I have a column over at Bloody Discussing now uh, called "You Oughta Know." That's all about uh, the horror movies from the aughts, and it's going in chronological order. So I've covered. Um, Mike Mendez's The Convent and uh, Scream 3. 
and then next month will be Final Destination. So that's been a lot of fun, and then I got approached from a guy named Tyler Liston, who's um, pretty big in the horror community online, who launched a site called Haw Creek Horror, and it's all about just like really, he wanted it to be, there's no reviews or editorials, it's like very personal pieces, um, and he like handpicked, he's handpicking people, and I was part of the first like to launch it um, for March, so he picked like five writers. Um, and I was one of them, and I feel very, like, um, honored and humbled by that, because the other writers are incredible, and I've been working on that piece, which will be about divorce, and how horror helped me heal, like, through that process, so I've been, like, kind of working on that, too, so more just, like, personal growth stuff lately. Good job. Thanks. Welcome. I try. Um, I've been watching a lot of stuff, but, like, nothing of too much of importance. So I do these things where I call them like comfort rewatches of TV shows where I just need like a taste of them. I don't want to watch all of them um, most of the time because these shows have a shit ton of seasons and I don't want to get into all of it. I just want like, just want to hit that nostalgia feeling. So I do that with a lot of shows. One Tree Hill is one of them that I usually watch like the first, first season for sure. Sometimes like the first, usually the first four um, and I just did that with Grey's Anatomy. Um, usually I'll, if I'm getting like a craving to watch it and get that sort of feeling I'm looking for, I watch like the first two seasons. Um, and this time it's been a long time since I've really, I don't even know if I've ever gone back, gone this far, but I went through the first five seasons. Um, and there's like a, one of like the first one of. Yeah, I mean, the first big character death um, of the show happens at the end of season five. And so I just kind of got to that and like, I'm done. I got my flavor, got what I was looking for. Um, that show does the first, I think, three seasons are pretty impeccable, really amazing soap. Um, and there's a reason why it's still on the air and people are still hooked on it. And it's still, I looked it up. Um, it is still... Uh, one of the top rated um, TV dramas in primetime 15 years later. It's on its, I think it's going to start, it's, it's in its 15th season, pretty sure right now, or it's, it's in its 16th season. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty great. So if nobody's ever checked out Grey's Anatomy and like you get like tired of like, oh my God, I can't believe you're still watching that. It gets really insane, but it's it really is some pretty spectacular performances in those first few seasons um and yeah it was just really nice to sort of like go back and watch that um and like I said I was looking for that particular nostalgic feeling that's why I do a lot of rewatches and like comfort rewatches and so it like perfectly hit that I was really young when I started watching that show I was like a freshman um I remember when I went to the like film summer camp I went to, one of the girls that I became really close with, her dad worked for ABC. He actually cut the like his job, what well, was, I don't think, you know, he still works there. I don't know if this is still his job title, but at the time he was the guy who cut the like next week on trailers. Mm -hmm. So like at the end of the episode where it's like next week on Grey's Anatomy, he cut those. So he'd always get the episodes ahead of time. And I remember I went to go visit her and she got like, 
five of the Grey's Anatomy episodes because he works for ABC like ahead of time. And it was like one of the most exciting things to happen to me that I got like be like promo episodes of Grey's Anatomy like two months before they were going to come out. Like it was incredible. It's like my 13 year old life was made. So anywho, um, and then my son is now, he's almost a year old now somehow, and he's now recognizing things on TV, where before, he's never really watched TV, um, like he's in a Mickey Mouse clubhouse, he loves Mickey Mouse, and he'd get excited when he saw Mickey and like heard the music, but he doesn't really watch it. He's just now getting to the point, um, which we noticed it, because we were personally watching Monsters University, which is one of my husband and I's favorite, and we often rewatch it, and we especially try and watch things that are, like, more kid-friendly when, like, my son's in the living room playing, and there's a part where a bookshelf falls on Sully, and my son laughed, and we're like, oh my god, he just laughed at the TV, and, like, we made the connection that he's now starting to realize that things are happening and having reactions to them, where they're little, they don't it's like a weird thing with kids and TV. They either don't have a relationship, they don't understand what it is at all. Then they get to this point right now where he's like, oh, he just got like hit and made like a funny noise. That's funny to me. But now he's at the point where he doesn't understand that it's not real. <laughs> so if they're, he just thinks that's happening. He has no reference for like, well, of course, that's television and those are cartoon characters and it's fake. Like he just sees something happening that he thinks is funny. No reasoning behind it. So for that reason, you can no longer watch, like, horror movies in the room with him or anything where there's, like, screaming or any trauma because he'll react to it. And, you know, I I always joke about showing him horror movies. And, yeah, I'd watch horror movies with him in the room because he would freaking watch them. Those days are gone. It's a little sad. I'll have to wait until he's gets to the next phase where he understands that these things aren't real. And that will be a while. Um, but it's exciting. It's exciting. He's really fun right now. Um, it's a super fun age. And I have uh, taken a social media break. Um, I've deleted like all my social media apps from my phone. And part of that is because I just found myself like mindlessly spending so much time and attention. Um on things that weren't productive or, like, bringing me any, like, I was, like, what is the point of me, like, looking through this, like, Instagram feed every 20 minutes I pull it up and look through it? Like, what advantage is this giving to me to my life? And it's been pretty great. Like, it's not forever. It's just something I realized I needed to do. Um, And I've been super present. I've read a book already. Um, I've been more present with my son. I've just gotten more work done. I've just been more productive. And so it's amazing, like, if you just listen and realize, like, I was just sort of mindlessly hooked to my phone for no reason, and I just knew it was time to stop. So I benched a really, really good book called The Perfect Mother by Amy Malloy, which is, you know, one of those thrillers that I love that um, is told from, like, a mommy group. So it was perfect because it hit my needs of, like, I'm a new mom, and then also the, like, thriller, untrustworthy narrator type storylines that I love. Um, it was great. I was hooked. Um, 
it got out. It's been out for a while, um, like 2017, I think. And apparently, it was getting adapted by Carrie Washington, and she was going to star in it. But I don't see any other report. All those reports happened in like 2017, 2018. I've not seen another murmur about it. So I'm assuming for whatever reason, it got shelved. Um, yeah. It's stuck in like development hell even the imdb literally just has carrie washington's name attached to it i wonder if those movies just started not doing as well yeah i don't know yeah how did girl on a train deal i didn't personally care for it but i didn't either yeah did well did really well yeah 172 money (laughs) 172 money million jesus i mean did really well too well gone girl was exceptional yeah it was also fainter so yeah um so yeah, that was good. I'm excited about this. That's sort of like my life update. I've been watching a ton of stuff, but you know, do you want me to talk about the fact that I watched Monsters Inc. four times and um, Zootopia a couple times and, and staying up on The Bachelor? Oh yeah, the trash season of The Bachelor. Tomorrow's the season finale. Hallelujah! I'm so over it. You know, that's David Fincher directed the video for Vogue by Madonna. Wow. That's really weird. One of the most iconic music videos ever. Yeah. Hmm. Very interesting. The more you know. Yeah. Oh, is he not doing... Oh, did Mindhunter get canceled? I think it's done. Oh, it's on an indefinite hold because it says 2019. What yeah. is that show without Fincher? Yeah. I mean... Uh, I don't know. Anywho, I don't know much about Mindhunter because you know Sarah Killers. No, thank you. Yeah, no, I passed. I watched like a couple episodes. Not for me. Not my thing. Even Fincher kind of bring me into it. I mean, he only directed the first episode, which was... But it still there. looks like him. Oh, yeah. I mean... It's got that... His, it's... Yeah, his fingerprints are all over it, for sure. No, it's got that feel, that just special, special feeling. I do love Fincher. Me too. You know what movie about, like, he did that I personally love? I think The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is phenomenal. And I don't think it gets, like, brought up enough when he, like, with his stuff. See, Obviously, like, Social Network. And Alien Zodiac. 3, 7, The Game, Fight Club, Panic Room, Zodiac. Oh, the game. Go to, is that the one with um, Michael Douglas? Sean yeah, yeah I just watched movie. that. It's a really good movie. That was really good. Yeah. Um, Turek was talking about it on Chalk Waves like a while back, and I was like, "What the heck?" And so I watched it. And didn't even realize it was Fincher when I watched it. It was super good. Yeah, it's wild. Curious Gates and Benjamin Button. I've never seen that. I read okay. the book. It's okay. Well, the short story. Right. It's not really a it's book. Not my favorite Fincher movie. I don't like Brad Pitt. What? We've had this conversation like oh a dozen God. times. Brad Pitt's so good. So good. Ocean's Eleven. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Joe Black. Love that movie. It's my controversial opinion of the night. <sighs> well, that's your first one. Um, <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> so the movie we watched is Candyman. Uh, it's the trailer for Nia DaCosta's new Candyman movie. Um, dropped last week. Um, and it will be hitting in June. Uh, it's a phenomenal trailer uh, if you get a chance and want to watch it. Um, I think it does a pretty good job of not really spoiling anything. It's, it kind of treads on the How same How do you beats. know that? You haven't watched the movie. Because, like, it just, like, there's they, they don't show Candyman in it. Like, they allude to him a lot. Yeah. Like, like, when you watch a trailer, you can see, like, there are certain things that you can see in a trailer where you're like, mm, like, that feels like a spoiler. Like, or, like, not a spoiler, but, like, that just was a lot. It showed a lot. Yeah. Like, kind of like the Black Christmas trailer. Yeah, and where honestly... you kind of see the twist about the yeah. um, fraternity aspect of yeah. it. Yeah, and I'll say, like, one thing that bummed me out about Invisible Man is one of the best 
scares in the movie is in the trailer. I'm oh, like, why did you do that? Like, nice. it's so much better to not know going in. Did you guys see it? Uh, I need to. Um, but, Bobby and I might go, actually. Um, no, but, uh, so we decided to do Candyman since the trailer came out, and, like, even B doesn't watch a lot of trailers, but she watched the trailer, and she's like, oh, that looks good. Yeah, that's um, a good-ass trailer. Yeah, it's very well edited. They use a slowed-down version of Say My Name by Destiny's Child, which is genius uh-huh. um especially because that's like the whole thing of Candyman. no it was super clever yeah I, I mean i love it um jordan peele is producing the movie he's not directing he the movie it. yeah uh i think he wrote it with nia uh i'll have to check um because i know i think they worked on it together but um let's see You're the and they, they haven't announced yet if it's a reboot or a, they say it's sequel. a uh, it's a spiritual sequel. Yeah, yeah. I was like, uh, he wrote it with oh, when when Rosenfield. That's it. I knew it wasn't just him. And when Rosenfield, oh, did Black well, Klansman oh, produced produced? Hmm. Oh, that TV show Hunters. I started that. It was really good. I forgot to talk about that. That's the only writing credit for when Rosenfield, but has worked with Peel on a ton of stuff. Did Twilight Zone stuff. Um, interesting. So, it will be interesting to see what they do with it. Uh, it will be. Oh, yeah. And Nia DaCosta to write. Yeah. Helped write. Okay. Uh, the synopsis for this one is, The Candyman, a murderous soul with a hook for a hand, is accidentally summoned to reality by a skeptic grad student researching the monster's myth. I thought it was interesting that they referred to him as a monster in this. But I guess he is, kind of. He's more like a spirit. A ghost. A, a ghost. A vengeful spirit. A vengeful ghost. Ghost. Um, it came out October 16th, 1992, my birth year. I was 10 months old when this movie came out. Also a good Halloween movie. Then. Yeah. Um, premiered TIFF uh, September 11th, 1991. And so this is early 90s. Um, yes, thank you. Well, thanks, yeah. Um, and it really was... Like, I think this movie stands out for a lot of reasons, like, the type of movie it was, because the 90s was, like, this weird era for horror movies where they were still, especially, like, they were trying to figure out, like, the post-80s, like, feel of what horror was going to be. It was and, all the weird, like, the tail end of all the franchises and all, like, the weird ones. Yeah, and, like, we started, this was, like, a dry period for slashers, um, until Scream would reboot slashers, like, in the, you know, late 90s. The, the 90s are pretty, they're pretty light on slashers, to be honest. Um, like, we get a couple, I think we get a couple, um, like, Nightmares and a couple Fridays, but it's when they were at the weakest in the entire franchise. Like, they weren't pulling the box office numbers that they used to. Yeah, Jason they, Goes to Hell, Leatherface, New Nightmare, Freddy's Dead. Yeah, so, like, some of the least acclaimed in the entire series. Yeah. Um, we started to see a lot of, like, remakes of, like, there was a lot of ghost movies, a lot of remakes of old Hammer films. Um, so it was just this, like, weird era, so to have this movie that was a slasher. Yeah, Texas Chainsaw, The Next Generation came out in the 90s. Yeah, it was. It just didn't know what it was, yeah. I feel like. Um, its identity wasn't really quite figured out yet, and I do think, like, Candyman was one of the movies that kind of put it on its path. Um, budget was in somewhere between 8 and 9 million, ended up making 25.7, which is actually less than I thought, um, because it spawned two sequels. Uh, I mean, 25 million is like mildly, six, eight, six, like three, 
three, a little over three times the budget, but still, like, I thought it would, I th honestly just thought it did better, because, like, growing up, everyone knew what this was. Like, I don't know if that was for you, too, but, like, I feel like everyone knew what Candyman was. I mean, because of the movie, I feel like he became an urban legend. I don't know how much I knew about the film itself yeah. as a kid, but I knew, like, Candyman. Yeah. And I knew it was the whole, like, Bloody Mary thing. Yeah. Like, talking in the mirror. Like, I think it just, the urban legend from the film became an urban legend just in society, too. Yeah. Um, and as a kid, I mean, obviously I was born the year it came out. Like, it's not like I was had any reference for the film. So by the time, like, I was, like, hearing about Candyman and stuff, it was just sort of one of those things. I was like, oh, yeah, did you hear about Candyman? Yeah, and I distinctly actually wrote, like, this, so I was four, and I started school when I was four. This literally came out the the month after I started school, and I don't remember, like, exact memories, but I remember kids daring each other to say Candyman in the mirror. And I also remember, because this is around when I started reading comics, the poster, like, there were two movie posters that I always remembered from comic books that showed up in ads, and it was Silence of the Lambs and Candyman. Those are the two so that, like, were, yeah, they were, like, in everything. Um, it's very well received. It has a 74% on Rotten Tomatoes, um, uh, where they, like, summarize, though it ultimately sacrifices some mystery in the name of gory thrills, which I feel like is exactly what B feels like. Uh, Candyman is a nuanced, effectively chilling tale that benefits from an interesting premise and some fine performances. Uh, Ebert would go on to say elements of the plot may not hold up in clear light of day, but that doesn't bother me so much. What I like is a horror movie that was scaring me with ideas and gore instead of simply with gore. Uh, Janet Maslin of New York Times compared it to an elaborate campfire story with an unusually high interest in social issues. Not everyone loved it. Kevin Thomas at uh, the LA Times called it uh, Clive Barker's worst to date, an ambitious but pretentious film that quickly becomes as repellent as it is, as it is preposterous. Um, and at this point, too, Clive Barker was, um, he had just finished Nightbreed, which did not do very well, um, at least, like, commercially. Um, but his biggest movie was Hellraiser, um, which had already come out. At this point, he had already put out, um, Rawhead Rex had come out based on one of his stories. He directed and put out Hellraiser, um, Hellraiser 2, Nightbreed, Hellraiser 3, and then Candyman. Um, so he had like five, five or six movies to his name there by the time Candyman came out. Uh, B, what do you think of this poster? Um, I mean, it's insanely iconic. Yeah. I mean, when I feel like this was on the wall of every video store forever. Yeah. I mean, it's terrifying to have it be on your eye. Yeah. Honestly. I mean, this is freaking scary. And yeah, so just that Im image is creepy and it feels very 90s you know photographic and then you have candy man is so 90s. yeah and then you have um the candy man like in the eye making the pupil um so visually i think it's stunning um i like that it's sort of whited out so you can see the you know the type the taglines we at the top we dare you to say his name five times candy man i mean that's effective I mean, nitpicky a little. The typography is a little cluttered. It's a little, it seems a little off. It's not that eloquent, um, especially when you can, it like needs to, scale is important. It needs to be a lot smaller. Um, it doesn't need to take up the entire 
poster, especially when you have such a giant striking image as this. You need to let that speak a little bit more, but I mean, it's a very, you know, minor complaint. Um, I think overall, it's a very scary, effective poster. And I think it relates to the film and mm -hmm. sort of, you know, the fact that you just, there's this like ominous present like around. Um, taglines included, um, we dare you to say his name five times, which is on the poster, very big. And, um, that definitely has like gone on to become the iconic takeaway from the movie. And then you don't have to believe, just beware, which is more tying to, there's a theme in this movie that doesn't show up as much in the later ones where like, and it's something that like the nightmare movies would go on to do, but this did it before them where it's kind of this idea of like, he can't really exist unless people believe in him. Um, so I think it like that plays into that tagline plays into that idea really well. Um, there are two sequels and then possibly a third or a reboot, whatever the new one's going to be. We talked about the one coming out this year in June. Um, but in 1995, uh, Candyman 2 Farewell of the Flesh was released. Um, and then in 1999, Candyman 3 Day of the Dead was released. And I actually rewatched both of those with this. I actually rewatched 2, 3, and then this one. Um, and I think 2 actually is really good and holds up. And I think 3 Were those is... direct to video? Um, I think two was theatrical because Philip Glass came back for the score and I can't imagine he would do something if it wasn't going to be at least theatrical. Um, but three feels like it was straight to a video. It's like bad. It like stars, I think, uh, I think it stars one of the lifeguards from Baywatch. Um, <laughs> and yeah, the two did, did, uh. 13.9 in the box office. Yeah. Came and, out in March of 95. And the third one just feels like one of those 90 movies, like, like 90s movies, where like, there's a lot of boobs in it, you know? Like, mm -hmm. it's like, it just loses some of the, like, because, like, there's sexuality in this movie, but it's not ever played for sexuality, you know? Like, or there's Bill, not sexuality, there's like... Bill Condon directed it. The second one, yeah. And I remember That's when funny. I saw that, I was like, oh, like that makes sense because Bill Condon's a very talented director. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, they're both on Netflix right now. No, they're both on Hulu. This one's on um, the original. The original's on Netflix. on Netflix. That's how I watched it. Yeah. Uh, Bernard Rose directed. He's He was a very like selective, picky, kind of eclectic director. Um, he did Paper House, which is another very like critically acclaimed horror-ish movie and then he's done a couple he's done numerous toys tolstoy adaptations um the most famous being anna karenina anna, anna karenina uh -huh. yeah um lately he hasn't done as much he did do um another he's done more tolstoy adaptations one was called boxing day which was pretty well received that one came out like 2012 and then he did a really terrible found footage movie that i've actually seen called sx under dash tape like sex tape and it's about a couple that decides to film their sex tape in a um, haunted hospital. Oh, fuck. It's bad. And, like, it's it's bad. And Oh, the whole, that cover. I, it yeah. looks like a paranormal activity movie. Yeah, and it's it's called SX Tape 2, and I remember, like, I remember watching it, too, and, like, they don't have sex, and there's no nudity in it either. And I'm like, like, so the audience they were trying to sell to is they're going to be pissed. And, yeah. And then the people that like watch horror movies is going to be pissed because it's not a good horror movie. Um, yeah. So he has become, he hasn't like showed up as much, but he, his early stuff was very, very well received. 
Um, he also wrote the movie. And I was reading, um, it's based, like I was saying, it's based on Clive Barker's short story, The Forbidden, which was about the class system in Liverpool. Um, and it was, it was like a chance happening. Like they ran into each other somewhere. The director and Clive uh, Barker. Barker. Like Clive Barker had just finished, like had just finished Nightbreed and they ran into each other somewhere and Bernard Rose. Like Like one does. Yeah. And Bernard Rose like told him he loved the Forbidden and basically like pitched Candyman right there, and Barker like exclusively signed it over to him, which is why it got made. Like, like it wasn't being optioned or anything. Like yeah. Bernard Rose was literally just like, "Oh, I, I want to make, this yeah, movie. I love this story. Like, here's like how I could do it." So, pretty interesting. Yeah, and Philip Glass did the score, and Philip Glass is, I mean, you hear his name. That's a very famous composer. Mm-hmm. Um, He's, yeah, regarded as one of the most influential composers of the 20th century. Films include The Hours, Secret Window, um, Elena, Leviathan, Mishima, Kundin, and more. Um, ton of stuff. Very varied career. Um, yeah, his, I mean, his career is, as a composer, he's... And then, uh, not just for films, though, but he has, I mean... Just as a musician, mm-hmm. he's put out a ton of very successful albums um, and composed a lot of works just, you know, for music. Yeah. Not for, like, the composition of a film. Yeah. Um, so he, that I think he's even probably more famous for. Mm-hmm. It's just himself, like, as a composer of music that's then played. Absolutely. It's always a weird thing to talk about classical music, but... You know, he's writing the music and then somebody else is playing the music that he wrote. Yeah. And those albums come out. So it's like, it was always weird at the record store when I didn't sell CDs because sometimes people would be looking for a composer. Like, I want to listen to like Philip Glass, but then they'd, but I want it performed by, and there could be like all these different people who are like performing that composer's work. Yeah. Yeah. It would be like. It would be like if Beethoven did a movie. Like, that's yeah. what, I mean. Basically. Yeah, he's basically, like, yeah. on level. Of the 20th century, yeah. that is, like, his level. Um, and, it, yeah, when you look him up on Wikipedia, I mean, his accolades are just, like, the list is really, really huge. So it was very, like, he would go on to do, like, obviously other movies, like The Hour Seeker Window, like, very commercial movies. But bring getting him for this movie at the time was, like, insane. Um, I kind of, like want to find out how they did it because I don't know how they pulled him. Those movies that B mentioned, Elena, Leviathan, Mishima, Kundan, like he did those, they're very like, they are not like commercial movies at all. They're very like historical, um, very like, you know, uh, I don't know how to, how to phrase it exactly. You know, like they're, they're movies that are made for critical, not commercial reasons. <laughs> Um, so to have him do something like Candyman is just really cool. I love the score. B hates it. Um, I think it's fantastic. I think it makes the movie really weird and creepy and off-putting. Um, cause it's very like choral. Um, and like there's a lot of choir work and I, I don't know. I think it's really good. Yeah. I mean, that's why I didn't like it is because... It again, it just felt the parts of this movie that don't work for me are the fact that it's feels otherworldly, but you can't place what that world is. 
if that makes sense. Like, it's, he's supposed to be this supernatural character and all these weird things are happening and there's supposed to be this terror because of it and it just feels really displaced for me and I think part of that reason is because like this score doesn't fit the character to me like that doesn't feel like it should be his theme um I don't know it just didn't it didn't work for me like it felt creepy and weird but then which is great, right? It's supposed to. And I felt the like intensity. It worked until Candyman showed up for me. And then all the score that involved Candyman and him, I just don't feel like that score did the character well. I think it did the like her like having a lot of fear about being in this very dangerous neighborhood and dealing with this idea of Am I going to really believe this urban legend that all these other people, you know, believe so wholeheartedly into it, but I'm not like them. Like, I'm not going to believe it. Like, I'm, you know, I'm not from here. I'm educated. Like, I know better. Like, this is just, you know, crime happening by, you know, their own people. All that internal stuff, I feel like the score worked really well for that. But then as soon as the movie switches tones, I didn't like the score. I understand. I, I understand. I don't agree, but I understand. Um, Virginia Madsen is our lead, Helen Lyle. Um, she, at this point, had gained a lot of critical acclaim for a movie called Fire with Fire. She was also in Dune, like the adaptation of Dune. Um, she was in. She would go on to be in like a lot of, actually, like a few John Grisham like um, adaptations. She was in The Rainmaker. It's one of the biggest ones. She has gone on to still like show up in genre film. She was in The Haunting and um, even pretty recently Better Watch Out. And like at the time, this was like she was you know like like a heartthrob for sure. Like she, um, like a, she looks so much like um, what's her name, Jillian? Um, oh, from um, X Files. Yeah, Julian yeah. Anderson from X Files. See that, yeah. Um, Tony Todd is Candyman. He has gone on to become a huge horror icon. Um, He's death and final destination. Yeah, Bobby. exactly. Um, he is. I would say, like in the horror world, he's as recognizable as Robert England. Like, yeah, for and, sure. Like Kane Hodder. That's like yeah. the level he's at as a um, horror fan for sure. Yeah, he was in Final Destination. He was in Wishmaster. He was in Hatchet. I mean, he's been in a, so many of those movies. Like, yeah, so many horror things. Um. But like the those are like kind of the ones he he I think he shows up in like two or three of the Hatchet movies and then in three or four of the Final there are a couple he's not in but um he's yeah he plays like the personification of death and Final Destination. He's in the first two for sure. Yeah, I don't think he's in three. His voice is very iconic. Is why uh -huh. he gets used a lot. He has a very like deep voice. Uh, Xander Berkeley as Trevor Lyle. That's Helen's husband. Um, he actually had a starring role in Terminator 2. He was in Air Force 1. He was in three seasons of 24, so he had a pretty lasting career. Um, Cassie Lemons as Bernadette, um, who is Helen's, like, best friend and fellow... Grad student. Grad student, um, who starred in Silence of the Lambs, but went on to become a director, and she directed Eve's Bayou, which is a very, like, critically acclaimed movie, and she did Harriet from this year, oh, actually. Wow. Yeah. I know, I was pretty surprised. 
Um, Vanessa Williams is Anne Marie. Uh, she was in the Cosby Show for uh, like three or four years, and then on numerous soaps, she popped up in like there were like four or five different soaps that she she popped up in. Um, Which character is Anne Marie? She's the one with the baby. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Mariana Elliott as Clara. Um, Dewan Guy is Jake. Rhea Pavia as Monica, and then um, Sam Raimi's brother Ted has a a like a little cameo kind of role in this movie. He's in like when the movie starts, it's someone telling the story of Candyman. It's about a girlfriend who invites her boyfriend mm-hmm. over, and like he plays he's the, the boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's and, funny. I didn't realize it was him until you just said him. Like, he's oh the yeah, boyfriend. yeah. Um, and Ted Raimi is again. He pops up in horror. Yeah, all, all the time. Yeah, he's in a ton of. Things. He's just randomly in shit. It's yeah, so funny. He's very recognizable. He's a pretty goofy looking dude. Oh, the Raimis. Uh, yeah, I really like the opening scene. I love the opening scene. It's so urban legend. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a supernatural slasher for sure. Like B has a hard time calling it a slasher. Mm-hmm. It's a slasher though. It's a supernatural slasher. It's as much of a slasher as Child's Play is. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yeah. Or the later Nightmare movies. If we haven't discussed those, have we? So we can't argue that. Okay. We can argue that when we get to those movies. No. Chucky's literally, like... Do you not remember how... He, he like, uses voodoo in that movie. It's not about the killing. It's about the... The stalking. Like, the know, stalking and the amount of kills and the still, reason for the killing. We'll get there. The actual killings themselves. What in the world are you doing? Trying to readjust my chair. Sorry. Yeah. Just... Little, he's getting aggressive over here. He's got to adjust himself. I did have to He's got to contain yeah. his anger at me. Okay, we'll continue that argument as we go on. Yeah. Um, the killer is the Candyman. Um, so there's other backstory that's given in the sequels, but what we know from this movie itself is that he was an influent man um, who like had... Do they say it's an affair? They don't. No, no they it's just, just a relationship. Yeah, he had a relationship yeah, with, a with a white woman. Um, and her father set a mob on him. Um, and like they even make... Like, he was well-to-do, college-educated, like, he was a you know. Teacher. Yeah. Um, and... But it was the 1800s, yes. so it was Not okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he was, like, as, you know, as good as you could be as a black man at that time. Yeah. You know, in the white God, man's eyes. I fucking feel awful just even saying that. Right? Yeah, it's so bad. Um, and they cut off his uh, right hand and replaced it with a hook. Um... Before covering him in honey and allowing him to be stunned to death. Yeah. And the Is reason it... he ha- um, haunts Cabrini Green, which is the neighborhood, is that's where his ashes were spread. Mm. Um, so that's, um, yeah, like the, he was burned and then um, his ashes were spread, which is why he haunts Cabrini Green specifically. Um, super iconic weapon. It's his hook hand. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's. I think this is definitely the most iconic weapon we've had in a while. Yeah. Um, like mingled all like bloody stump. Yeah, it's 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 nasty. It is. It's it's uh, much different than it's much different than the hook from I know what you did last summer because that's like well, a fishing hook. This is like a huge... him holding a hook. Yeah, it's not. He's not a hook hand. Yeah, but also this hook is like big iron. Like it's got. It's very captain it. hooky. Yeah, but even like thicker. It's got some girth on it. Um, Hook got nothing on Candyman. Yeah, exactly. 
Our body count is relatively low. Uh, three, four, five, six. There's six, possibly eight. Not all by the Candyman, though. So, like, um, like I did list a couple in here that there's, like, two people that are mentioned that you're not sure if they're killed by the Candyman or by a man who is impersonating the Candyman. Because yeah. it's never really confirmed. No. Um, but, um, and then, of course, we have, like, the Candyman himself is killed in the movie. Like, so that's not one of his deaths. But um, it's, like we were saying, it starts with the story about Clara. Um... <laughs> Which is weird, too. I don't know what this, like, film's fascination on, like, adulterous relationships. Like, I'm assuming that, well, not assuming. I can make an assessment of what that theme is playing. But they make a specific comment that Claire is, like, a good girl and she's got a good boyfriend who's really great. But um, her boyfriend, like, or what's the character's name? Billy? It's got to be Billy. It's always Billy. Yeah, Billy. Oh my god, is it really? <laughs> it is. Wow, um, Billy's like the bad boy, and she's been saving herself, um, not for her boyfriend, but for Billy. And because she's babysitting, like, he's going to come over and they're going to have sex. Like, that is just such... So, one, that is like a slasher thing, right? Like, you do bad things, you have sex, you do drugs, um you know, you get naked, you do any of these things, like, that is going to get you killed by your killer. So, a part of me, like, is like, okay, this is in line with, like, the slasher themes, but then it pops up again later, which feels weird again. Um, But, yeah, so she's, that's what we get told, that she's, I feel like you know, that's a Barker thing. Cause yeah. Isn't she in Hellraiser, too? I'm pretty sure she is. I don't know. The actress? No, uh, the lady who played, like, well, not that the actress, but, like, in Hellraiser, I think. The well, movie. she's cheating on, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the whole thing, and she's like. Oh, I don't know. I hate Hellraiser. I've never, I haven't finished. I've never made it through Hellraiser. I have not made it through. I made it through a lot, which is, like, part of what I told Ryan is, like, I just don't think Clive Barker's for me. Um, well, yeah, Hellraiser was a doozy. Um, and, yeah, the whole thing is she's cheating, and I am apologize to Hellraiser fans. I'm going to really fuck this up, and I don't really care. But she's, like, having an affair on her husband with, like, her brother, or there's some weird, like, family connection, or, like, her kid's uncle. I don't know. It's weird. And, like, all of a sudden his body's, like, melting in the attic into, like, goo. And I was like, oh, all right, this is weird, and there's, like, a lot of weird sex. Yeah, super, that's all I remember yeah, is like weird sex, weird sex and her cheating on her husband with like some kind of person that's somehow related to somebody and like a body melting into goo. And I was like, I can't finish this. I can't do it. Yeah. That. Hellraiser is just not my jam. No. Like it's just not for me. Um, I've watched a lot of them because our friend Jeremy loves them. And uh, like, especially when he used to live next door and we were like, you know, a little younger, like four or five years ago, we'd get drunk on the weekend and just watch Hellraiser movies. Um, but the first one, I've never made it through. Anyhow. Maybe one day. So, yeah, maybe that's like a Barker thing. Um, and it just happens to like sort of ring true in like the slasher genre, which is like horror in general too. Playing with the idea of what do our sins, mm-hmm. like what consequences do our sins have in, you know, the natural world. Um and he's like kissing on her neck and like they talk about the legend and she says Candyman 
And then... He goes downstairs. She's like, why don't you go get ready? Yeah. And then she says it one last time. The fifth time, yeah. Yeah. And, um, like, it's effective. Like, Ted Dreamy's character is sitting on the couch and, like, he hears the scream and then blood just immediately starts, like, pouring through the ceiling. Um, and we find out that, you know, Bernadette and, um... Helen are grad students and they're writing a thesis on urban legends. Um, and so they're just like trying to collect like different stories and kind of try to find the truth behind them and what the reasoning is, like their social impact. Um, you know, we find out Helen's husband is a professor at the college, uh, Trevor, and he teaches, a, he doesn't teach a course on urban legends, but he ran an urban legends class like lecture it's yeah part of for some reason it's like part of his curriculum yeah um and what's wild is that kill takes place five minutes into the movie and the next kill doesn't happen for an hour yeah sounds about right uh but i do and like this is the part of the movie that b actually really likes and yeah. i actually really like this mo- like this part of the movie too um it it very much is it does a really good job at setting up this foundation of the the kind of world that they live in. You know, they live, it's, you know, like, um, there is a lot of stuff here about, um, just like in Barker's original story about, like, class systems. There's a lot here, because, like, basically, Helen and Lyle live, like, a couple blocks away. But they live in this, like, high-rise in Chicago that was built specifically to be that, but it was, like, it, they literally just covered up an old, like, ghetto building. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, Cabrini Green is this neighborhood that is, like, the slums, and it's, like, very well known for Yeah, being, it's a housing project. Yeah, and it's, and, like, gang-populated. And, and this is real. It's a real housing project. They filmed it there. Like, this is, it was, this movie was filmed in Chicago. It was filmed in Cabrini Green. That's wild. Yeah, and this actual housing project. Um, did just, I just was looking up an article and it was like 2012. It was like the last Cabernet Green house hadn't been like torn down to become nice, basically. Um, cause they've been replacing all these projects in Chicago with expensive condos to live in and the neighborhoods have been getting gentrified and they've been kicking all these people out. And the legally, these people were just living in an abandoned building, but it was still there. Like it was still their apartment. Um, and then they finally got like their two days notice cause they were like literally demolishing the building, but it like was crumbling around and they're like, yeah, there's two families that still live in these places, which is insane. And part, I was telling Ryan, part of the like reasoning I didn't care for the film when I first watched it because, and you know, this is lack of culture and experience and, you know, empathy. I, I was probably 16, 17 when I watched it, um, I was like, what, this is not what, like, even the projects looks like, you know, I didn't, I was like, this is, this is not realistic, it feels weird, so much of the movie felt like it, I didn't know what was supposed to be, like, supernatural and sort of otherworldly and what was supposed to be placed in our reality and I don't I like when those lines are clearly stated and not so blurry in films and uh sure enough when I looked up this neighborhood because I'm like I need to look up and see if this is actually and yeah I mean that apartment that's what a housing project would potentially look like I mean they didn't put any money or time into making it look anything but brick Mm -hmm. building Mm -hmm. yeah 
Um, so we spend a lot of time with Helen and Bernadette, specifically Helen, though, as she's like kind of, she gets absorbed into this Candyman legend mm-hmm. because she starts interviewing people and like just something about the way that they're like telling her and like she really, like, she finds out like, so one of the, um, one of the women killed Ruthie Jean, like supposedly, like everyone's afraid that she was, she lived in the projects and like everyone's afraid afraid that the candy the quote-unquote candy man killed her and like we do find out later that there is a man impersonating the candy man who's like basically like you know he a gang leader um but and like we never know if it's him or not that mm-hmm. actually killed her but like she was gutted with a hook and like she, once she starts investigating she realizes like these people are so afraid and believe in the legend so much that they like they won't even say his name um yeah, and that's why, so part of why she decides to do her thesis is because she's, you know, in her mind, she's rationalizing that these people are using an urban legend like Candyman uh-huh. to explain and justify crime, the crime uh-huh. and hardship in their neighborhood. Yeah, and she kind of sets out to prove, like, that he's not real. Yeah. But, like, as she gets further involved, she does find out, like, more and more the basis of this legend. And, like, there's this, like, character, too, that's, like, friends with her husband who's... I couldn't find him, actually, on the IMDb. Um, he drove me crazy. He's, like, a total uh, douchebag. Professor bag. Philip Purcell. I'll get the actor's name. Yeah. He, 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 like, plays a super pompous douchebag character that, like, you know, mansplains everything. Michael Culkin. All right. There we go. Michael Culkin. Yeah. And so he, like, is this, like, professor character. And he gives, like, the main origin story of the Candyman. But she's the one who kind of, like, is seeing the actual physical aspects of it. Like, she goes to explore Ruthie Green's apartment. And, like, you know, she finds, like, these, like, weird paintings um, of, like, the Candyman. And, like, the further she looks into it, the more she, like is coming to the realization that like maybe there it, it plays a lot with this idea of like me like she's unsure now yeah she's like is this real or is it something that i'm imagining or is it something like that these people have concocted and like now i'm starting to believe in it because their conviction is so real um and it's very like you know investigative journalism um and she, she, it's a, she becomes an obsession yeah, and it feels this whole like first hour of the movie really does feel like a a traditional slasher, um, where we get this we, we kill. Get this backstory. Yeah, yeah, we get this kill um, in the very beginning, and it's sort of like this legend happening in the past, and then we're like brought to the present where we're studying about it. We've got like a strong, powerful like final girl who's like instantly likable and pretty. And um, is proven to be smart and can take care of herself and brave. Um, she, like, showcases all of these things to all the char- supporting characters around her. Um, whether she's talking to Bernadette or she's talking to Lyle um, or the professor. Um, you know, she's very sure of herself. So we're getting all of this while, like, building up this dread of going, like, okay... Um, we saw like a glimpse of the candy man in the mirror in the first kill, like what's going to happen? When's he going to pop out? Like all this dread starts building, which, which is great. And it's just done very well. Yeah. And it hits this like peak. So she meets this kid named Jake who she gets to like show her where the candy man is. 
she's like, well, where where is he? And she he takes her to this like abandoned rest like rest stop, pretty much. I don't much. know if it's abandoned. It's well, just like it's yeah, yeah. it's just a mess. It's just where, I think what this neighborhood looks like. Yeah, where he tells a story about a kid who got like castrated. Um, and then while she goes in to investigate, and like while she's investigating, he looks up. And this guy walks up behind him. And he looks up and he like he says Candyman. So it's like, oh shit, okay, the Candyman's here. And like the bathroom, that whole scene's really creepy too. Um, Sweets to the Sweets is like written on the wall, which um, in the they play on that a lot. Actually, in the later movies too, it kind of becomes like one of his phrases, um, like one of the phrases he use uses. But like Sweets to the Sweets, and then she she opens the toilet up, and it's full of bees. Yeah. Um, which is also like again, it's like kind of bouncing around with this like okay, are what like is it real or is it not real? Because then we see this guy who is the Candyman, right? He walks in the yeah. bathroom, and it's physical. A, there's yeah. other people there. Yeah, it's a gang leader, and like he, I mean, he beats he like beats the hell out of her. I actually read too. There's like a more graphic beating scene um, in the unrated they cut, but they cut they cut like eight minutes. <laughs> it's like really long beating. Uh, I mean, they cut eight minutes of the total movie, but, like, I, the scene was, like, quite a bit longer. And so, like, even we as the viewer are going, like, okay, so, like, we know that's not the Candyman, right? But, like, he has the hook hand, and he said it was the Candyman, but, like, that toilet was full of bees, which is fucking weird, no matter what. Like, yeah. like I didn't just put a bunch of bees in the toilet. Um, so she, like, calls the cops, and they bust him. And so, like, she's under the impression that she has D like, debunked the Candyman, because, and, like, you know, it took her getting beaten, but she, like, feels very justified, and, like, um, the, like, the police thank her for it, because, you know, this guy, they think killed Ruthie Jean, castrated this kid, and yeah, so... Yeah, they've been trying to get him, like, but it's all, like, technicality reasons they couldn't bring him in. Yeah, so they're, like, thankful for it, and she kind of goes under the impression that she has now she has debunked that the Candyman exists. She's like, no, like, I've proven that he was not real. Like, he was, people were using this myth as a cover-up for crime. But pretty much as soon as that happened, that's when things, like, kick into full supernatural gear, and um, she starts to see the Candyman for real. Um, she starts to see, like, Tony Todd's Candyman. And it's because now that she, the his reasoning for... There's a couple things, like, there's a couple things from reading and, like, reading about the movie and then also, like, re-watching it again. Um, the main, so, I did read that one of the main reasons, I guess, that, like, he appears to her is because it's very heavily implied that she is a descendant of his lover. So, he... Can, yeah, he, he makes can that connect with her. That. Yeah, he yeah. can connect with her and communicate with her in a way he can't with like other people. Yeah, so he's using her as a vessel, um, and so he is upset that she has taken the fear out of the people, um, because without fear he can't exist. Because if they're not afraid of him, if they're not going to be like saying his name, then like he can't exist. So his plan is to use her to bring that fear back, um. And so, like, and this was weird, too. So, in all the scenes where he sees her, like, he, it's like a talk over, like a, a voiceover, yeah. which is another thing be hated. It's like, because it's like in her head, essentially. And he's like, yeah, it's like he's talking in her head, but then we see him talking. And it's like really echoey and meant to feel like he's, yeah, like. Yeah, I think it's meant to feel like very ethereal and like. Yeah. 
Um, but I read, so they actually hypnotized Virginia Madsen for those scenes because Bernard Rose got, like, wanted, instead, he did not want the normal reaction of, like, screaming, of, like, seeing something and being terrified and screaming. Uh-huh. And so his thing was, like, oh, when he sees her, like, she's mesmerized by him. But mm-hmm. he was, like, obsessed with the idea of her actually doing it. So they actually hypnotized her. They would spend 10 minutes hypnotizing her, and they'd use, like, a trigger word that would send her into a trance. Yeah, it's pretty fucking weird. What a brave actress. Yeah, There's so... No fucking yeah. way I would do that. Yeah, like, props to Virginia Madsen. Hypnotizing me where I'm going to be, like, out of it, and then you're going to film me. Like, no, that's not happening. Yeah. So, like, the first thing he does is he... We we met this character earlier named Anne-Marie who lives in the projects, and, like, like um, Helen kind of befriends her. Like, they discuss the legend, and, like, she has, like, a baby, um, Anthony, and, like, uh, the first thing, like, Candyman does is, like, he th- sends Helen into this trance, and she just, like, wakes up in her bathroom. Covered in blood. Covered in blood. in blood. Yeah, she killed her dog, which, God, I hate dog death in movies. freaking decapitated. Rottweiler. Rottweiler yeah. head when and you open the door. There's blood everywhere. There was so much blood, and the baby's missing. And so mm-mm, she mm-mm, um, mm-mm. automatically yeah. assumes that it's her. Um, I don't like that. Like, yeah. Anne-Marie automatically assumes it's her and attacks her with a fucking cleaver. Yeah. Um, and she actually it gets her pretty good, and then, like, she fights back, and, and the, cops the cops show up, up. and um, Helen's arrested. Um, and, like, I mean, the tone immediately... It's the same captain who helped her arrest the guy, and, like, the tone immediately flips. This scene was really hard to watch, because... It's just like for like part of it is just her like in the in the police station like and she has to undress you know mm-hmm. and she's like the whole time she's sitting there like shivering covered in blood and she's like can I please just take a shower can I call someone and the cop is just like take your take your bra off you know like lift your boob up lift your boob up yeah like um take your underwear off and it's like a really discomforting unsettling scene yeah this is sort of when the movie well isn't sort of like literally she meets Candyman, and this is where it starts shifting like away from a slasher movie to me and way more into like supernatural and then it gets into like yeah different types of fucking like discomfort and horror yeah like this like this whole you know and i think what it's doing here too i think part of what's happening is it's flipping things on its head of showing a white woman, and like going through the things that black people were having to so often go through because of crime. Like, and I think that's part of it is supposed to be showing this affluent white woman who is suddenly forced into this situation, like that is very much you know was blocks away from her, but she was always really far away from, mm-hmm. and then she's like forced into it. Um, which I think is why, like, the captain flips so fast. It's mm-hmm. like, it's kind of showing that. Just, like, that kind of, like, difference. Well, when you're the victim or the criminal. Right, exactly. Scenario. Like, this yeah. how you're going to get treated when you commit a crime versus when you're the victim of a crime. Right. And I think they do that on purpose. Like, they showcase it so hard because of how, like, sweet and comforting he was when she, mm-hmm. you know, like, he's helping. And then as soon as it happens, and, like, she expects him to understand. She, like, asks for him specifically. And then, like... You know, he like screw, he like yells at her. He's like, "Do you want counsel or not?" Um, so she gets arrested, but she gets 
she gets let off. Um, yeah, but I mean, because they don't, I mean, they don't have a body for the baby. Like, they don't know anything. And so they get her out and they take her home. And she's, like, you know, really stressed. And um, her, you know, this is where she's, like, in jail. Yeah, it's this whole long thing. Like, she's in jail and she calls and they show the house and the house is empty and we know her husband's not there. She had confronted him earlier in the movie about, like, a flirty student. She's like, oh, come on, like, really? And he's like, will you think I would do that? And she's like, oh, of course not, I wouldn't. Like, and you believe her that there's, like, no part of her that would think. And so then we're shown, like, well, he's for sure cheating on her because he's not even home and it's, like, 3 a.m. Yeah, she asks, like, she calls, leaves a a message, and that she asks. She goes, do you know what time it is? And the lady's all, it's 3 a.m. Yeah, and you're like, okay, well... There's that. So that's why I said, like, more, like, weird adultery stuff happening. Um, And then, yeah, she's home, and she's with her husband, and they're like, yeah, we're going to get you through this. And um, Candyman appears and cuts her, and she passes out, and then... Bernadette shows up. Bernadette shows up, and when she wakes up, Bernadette's murdered. Yeah, Bernadette comes in to check on her. Um, like, Brings, like, flowers. Yeah, Trevor had left for just, like, something. He was on it, like, he he was, but he was going to come back and, like... No, yeah, he makes a comment, yeah, I mean, that he's just got to go to the, the the office. He's just only going to be a little while, blah, blah, blah. And, of course, we know he's, like, probably going to go see his girlfriend. But it's like, yeah, just be gone, like, just for, like, an hour or something. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, he comes back and... She's she's like he's here he's here and he's just like oh my god what have you done because like Bernadette is like gutted yeah and like she wakes up in her bed handcuffed and she runs out to like ask like where's Trevor Tre- where's Trevor and that she sees Bernadette like literally gutted yeah. with, from from this hook um, and this part is kind of weird so she's put into a mental hospital for a month for a month um, and like we see her first night there because she's like oh he's under the bed like. And then, like, we literally just flash forward, but it acts like it's not a flash forward. And the doctor very, like, offhandedly goes, like, yeah, you've been here for a month, but you've been on this this drug, so you probably you've don't been remember sedated any for a of month. it. Yeah. Um, which is kind of weird. Like, I feel like, I do feel like this movie spends a lot of time building its foundation and, like, really getting to know Helen as a character. And, like... Like, I feel like you actually get to know her a lot as a character. Yeah. And then, um, like, this mythos behind the Candyman. And then once the Candyman actually shows up, it kind of, like, hits the gas. But in a really weird way, it's, like, kind of splotchy with its timeline. Like, and kind of just, like, jumping all over the place. I'm um, just doing a lot of weird things, like, with her. Yeah. Like, I get her getting framed for the murders because, you know, part of this is this urban legend has always been, is it really a Candyman or is it this person? Cause it very well could be this person. Um, but then to like add in this weird, like the whole getting arrested process, like how long and detailed that was. And then this whole psychiatric hospital and then like the process of her then having to like escape the psychiatric hospital. It's like really gets really, really complex for not, really any payoff um when it could have been you know her getting closer to figure like I felt like this could have so much more gone in the direction like at this point Candyman's exposed himself to her he's like framed her for these murders it should be 
like about her getting closer to figuring out how to defeat. There's no part where you feel like she's ever trying to defeat him. It's more like, I don't know. They send her into like, they break her down. Mm-hmm. So we get these like slasher tropes of like, yeah, we're building this character, this final girl. She's super strong. All this Candyman appears. And then it's just like nothing. She just deteriorates as a person. And instead of it being, then the storyline kind of gets flipped. Instead of it being about her fighting the Candyman and figuring it out, uh, it's more so her stumbling closer to, like, his trap. Yeah. She becomes very helpless, for sure. Um, I mean, I think she redeems herself at the end, but we spend, like, most of the third act with her pretty helpless. Yeah. Um, so she's in the psych ward and the, like, she's trying to prove that he exists, so she's like, well, I'll I'll prove it right here. He's like, okay, how are you gonna do it? And she's like, I'll summon him. So she looks in the mirror and she says it five times, and, like, for a second there's nothing there, and then, uh, Candyman, like, pops up from behind the chair of the psychiatrist Um. and, and guts him. Um, with the hook again, and she uses this opportunity to escape the psych scale the side of the yeah. building, and then there's just like this whole wonky thing where she like knocks out a nurse and steals her outfit and like runs past. Um, she's like wiping off blood in the elevator and runs past some security guards and yeah, and then goes to her apartment. And to find her husband and the student of his, like, painting the entire apartment pink. Yeah. Like, are, literally. She already has moved in. Yeah, she's moved. So it's been a month, and she's moved in, and they're repainting the apartment. And, you know, of course the girl's, like, violently terrified of her and, like, shaking and screaming and crying. And this is part of the narrative that, like, really bugged me about this part, too, is that... It's like she does everything she can just to get out, to go see her husband. And she's like, all right, we'll figure it out together. Like, once I see him, like, we've got this. And then she finds out that, like, this is how much he cared about her, that he's, like, has a new life. It was almost, like, a blessing for him. Like, well, fuck yeah, she, like, turned into, like, a murderous, crazy person. So, cool, I get to move my little honey in the house. Yeah. Like, this is a win for me. Um, don't have to get a divorce or anything. And then she just, I feel like the character's kind of like, well, okay. Like, I mean, I just, what what is there to live for? I gotta, yeah. I just have to give in to the Candyman Well, now. and he's been telling her, like, if she sacrifices herself to him, she'll live in immortality and he'll let the baby go. Yeah. So she decides to do that because, like, she even says, she's like, you were all I had left. Yeah. Um, so she goes to, like, um, find the Candyman, and she does find him. Um, and, like, he offers her immortality. She, like, finds the murals, uh, more, like, more paintings of, like, his lynching. Um, and this part's pretty wild. So she finds him, right, and he offers her, um, immortality. And, like, this is, he opens his coat up, and you find that, like, his entire rib cage is, like, open and, like, covered wow, in bees. the body horror. Um, well, yeah, Barker's huge mm-hmm. on body horror. So, he kisses her, right? He opens his mouth and all these bees start coming out of his mouth and like flying all around and he kisses her and like the bees go down her throat and then he like disappears. But those are all real bees. I mean, none of this was like CG. Obviously it's 92. Like CG existed, but it wasn't that good. They were all real bees. They were all really in his mouth. Um, Tony Todd negotiated a contract to get paid an extra thousand dollars for every time he got stung. He was stung 23 times. 
um, how they filmed that scene, he had a mouth guard in his mouth. And they had like a apiarist, someone who worked with bees, who used as many like non-stinging and non-flying bees as possible um, to try to help with it. But like he, they literally just had to fill fucking Tony Todd's mouth full of bees. Mm-mm. Yeah, um, they used Mm-mm. over five hundred bees in Mm-mm. the movie. Uh, yeah, so it's a pretty cool scene. It's very like creepy, mm-hmm. super supernatural feeling, obviously, um, but also just one of those things that like looks really good because obviously it was real and so like it doesn't look because i'll tell you what once you get to Candyman three and cg exists a lot more those b scenes get pretty bad mm. um in 1999 uh but he like tells her about like the folks like the residents of cabrini green are having this like big ass bonfire and like he basically tells her like you're going to use this bonfire to incite fear in them like i'm going to use you as my tool so i can come back um and she goes and i mean basically it's like this whole thing where he shows up and he's going to like use the bonfire as a way to like kind of make his reemergence but she ends up managing to save anthony the baby while the candy man is also destroyed by his own bonfire um and she crawls her way out of the bonfire like saves the baby but the burns she has received are too bad so she she dies helen actually dies um and i did like i mean her funeral scene was cool like i do think i really liked that they have like amory and jake like in the like the people of cabrini green who knew like believed what in happened. the candy man yeah. yeah like they come to pay her respects because everyone else at this point think that she's like a violent murderer yeah uh yeah it was super bleak like only a couple of people at her funeral and then like the residents of cabrini green like all walk up yeah, and they throw the hook onto mm-hmm. her um, onto her casket. Um, and then, yeah, the movie ends with Trevor, like, being all sad and depressed in his bathroom, and his new honey is all pissed at him because he is sad and depressed. Yeah. Also, did you, like, her shirt? I was like, why are you even wearing a shirt? It was just boobs. I was like, I can see every part of your boob. Like, I mean, whatever. But I just, I, I like, it was... It was interesting because, like, the whole movie, I feel like, doesn't sexualize things. And then that one thing. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, just her character? And, like, um, Yeah, because she's, like, the slutty student, right? Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Um, and then Trevor says Helen's name five times while looking in the mirror. And she shows up and kills him. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, she, her, like, his honey finds him in the bathroom to a pretty, pretty brutal like aftermath scene yeah and she's got a knife in her hand yeah she's got a knife in her hand and then the movie ends like the credits roll and we see the mural of the candy man but also now we see helen with like her hair on fire mm, i did not know there was a credit scene oh yeah it, it just rolls during the credits so like oh. it, it insinuates like she has become part of the part of the movie. legend of yeah. candy man um and i will say this too something that bummed me out watching this and the way i watched them i did two three and then one She's not, like, she's barely talked on in two. And I'm like, she, like, took over for him at yeah. the end of one. And then they just, like, never touch it again. Yeah, and I'm like, oh. Never mind. And there's a very interesting theory that the male lead in the new Candyman is Anthony from Candyman. Like, grown up. Which gotcha. is very interesting. Because um, there's even, like, little hints in the trailer. In the trailer? Mm-hmm. I'll have to watch the trailer again since I've seen the movie. Because yeah. when I watch it, it seemed like... Yeah, I'm super 
super curious now to see where they're going to take. So if it's a spiritual sequel, I'm assuming what they're going to do is that they're going to mention Helen, right? And like, or the fact that, yeah, these deaths happened in 1992 and then mm-hmm. still tell their own Candyman story. That That's what I would assume is the type of sequel it's going to be instead of ignoring that yeah. those characters existed or those events took place in 1992 or whatever it was. Yeah, I don't. I, I think it will definitely reference, and like a lot of people, like a lot of people think Tony Todd's coming back, and that's I'm pretty sure that's his voice in the trailer. Well, and they and the director Nia like said like yes, Tony Todd's iconic, but like we're not ready to discuss who's right. the Candyman. Like yeah, they want to hide. They're definitely it. playing around, like around it. Um, favorite kill. I think you and I probably share on this. Um. Oh, actually, maybe not. Uh, um, mm, you go first. Uh, mine's the professor. Um, like, I love we we talked about it earlier. It's super nightmare feeling because it kind of plays with you. It's like he's not there, and then like they don't they don't even do like a jump scare. It's not like we cut away and we cut back. Like he just pops up from behind the chair and he's just mm-hmm. like grabs him and like very like viciously from behind you know Mm -hmm. kills him i think like a lot of the after kills are really good Um, yeah i think bernadette is super like 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 brutal and so is um trevor but we don't get to see them really right and sometimes that's like you know we've talked about that sometimes that's more impactful right um when you don't get to see it i thought bernadette's actually was particularly because it cuts away you hear it happening and then you don't see it until well yeah and the fact that helen it. can't yeah. do anything about it and she just knows that it's Candyman doing it yeah yeah i mean i think the best like on-screen kill for sure is the psychiatrist yeah um i mean there's not a lot of on-screen yeah kills. there really isn't i mean there's not a lot of kills in general mm-hmm. um because i mean Candyman is killed in the end, but that and doesn't so count. Helen, but and so is Helen. But she's not killed and by Trevor's Candyman. Trevor's killed by Helen. Yeah. So Candyman only kills two people. Yeah. May, no, three people. Three people, maybe five, if he actually is the killer of Ruthie Jean and that kid. Yeah. Which we don't know. That could. It's alluded to that could have been the gang member. Right. And actually, like, I don't even think the kid dies, right? They just said he was castrated. castrated. Yeah. yeah. So, and... I mean, I think it almost makes more sense that, because part of what, like, I have a hard time with is, like, and Ryan's justifying that the people in this neighborhood, like, believe this urban legend to them. It's not an urban legend to them. It's real life. And so they're not going to be going into the mirror and saying Candyman. And that it sort of, like, lives in this pocket of a neighborhood. And so... Like, it's not, like, it's out there mainstream where everybody will know about it. But part of what I think, like, this movie suffers from is the fact that the kill count is so low. When you have, like, such an opportunity for a guy who apparently, like, needs, like, fuels himself on fear and, like, people being afraid of him. And I was saying it reminds me of, like, the Freddy storyline in Freddy vs. Jason, mm-hmm. where, like, Freddy needs the kids. The kids have forgone about him. But he uses Jason And so he uses fear. Jason yeah. to instill fear and get them to think about, like, he used, literally uses Jason, like, as a vessel to get them to be afraid of Freddy. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, kind of what happens in this movie. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that could have just been used so much more because you're telling me that none of these, like, punk kids in this neighborhood 
are going to say like Candyman in the mirror. And so part of like this idea that maybe Ruthie Jean was actually killed by that gang leader feels more plausible on the fact that the Candyman legend has kind of went to rest. Mm-hmm. And, and because like, of her death, because, it's coming yeah. back up. Yeah. That kind of makes more sense like, too. Yeah. You could, you know, you could kind of lead it to that. Um, but that whole part of it and like part of the lore still like doesn't quite work for me. I think, I do think there are some gaps in it. Like, and we were talking about it too. Like, I don't like quite understand like the full extent of like why he's, I mean, like he, uh, his ashes were spread there and stuff, but like, I don't know. There is some stuff that just doesn't, uh, and they, they kind of tie it up in the second one a little more. Yeah. But like why Caprini Green, like what have these people done to him? It's just his body was here. It's not like the people or like the relatives were, yeah. It's a weird type of vengeance like well this is where i am so i'm just gonna haunt this place and these yeah. people um which is fine but it feels that it's just more this is what bothered i know what that's a ghost story yeah that's what ghost movies do yeah. it's like someone is tied to a place that's yeah. very very rarely used in slashers except friday the 13th which is interesting yeah. he's tied to crystal lake but like even that kind of a little more works sometimes because at least jason like in his head is just like they're they're teenagers like they're the same people that ignored me when i died right and are the people who live in cabrini green the same people who yeah no no lynched and mobbed him and you know cut off his hand no not at all Um, yeah so that's what felt weird to me Mm because i'm like why like the poor black people in this neighborhood like that doesn't make any sense to me yeah no i can see that yeah um this movie is extremely well known it's i mean it is so well known like was saying it has become part of like pop culture lexicon mm-hmm. i mean people know Candyman as much as they know bloody mary like mm-hmm. i mean it, it has become the urban legend has transcended the movie yeah. and become an urban legend in in real life um so it is extremely well known uh i would say it's more well known as an urban legend than it is as a movie mm-hmm. uh, but even as a movie it's like very well known but like my nine-year-old nephew has, like knows what the Candyman is, yeah. but like I guarantee you, he doesn't know what this movie is. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so um, this is our sixtieth movie. No, fifty ninth. Yeah, it's fifty ninth. Okay, uh, it's our fifty ninth movie. At the end of every episode, we do rank all the movies. You can find that list at keepscreaming.com slash the dash list. Uh, number one, Victorious Forever, My Bloody Valentine from nineteen eighty one, followed by Black Christmas from seventy four, and then both the Fridays part two and then part one. And then um, at the bottom of the list there, we got um, April Fool's Day, Girls Night Out, Cry Wolf. Um, this is going to be interesting because B and I are very divisive on this one. Um, I mean, talking, I, this is why I love this show because like by the time we get to the end and having talked it out together, like I definitely understand some of your complaints, but mm-hmm. I do think that there are more slasher beats hit on than you felt like to begin with. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I definitely, after talking about it, it has more slasher elements than like, when I was watching yeah. it. I like just started getting kill. very angry and going like, what the fuck is happening? Like, and I think it's because I was super into it. And then when it sort of switched, I was like, wait, what just happened? Like, where did this energy and pacing go? Right. Um, so I think we have a very iconic killer with a super memorable yep. weapon. 
I think we have the opening scene is super slasher, like mm-hmm. so so hardcore, and then like even everything after with our final girl is really good. Um, I love the score. You don't, so we can kind of split the difference there. But also, like the so those things are all slasher. I do agree with you though. Once he actually shows up, we still get some slasher elements, but a lot of it is lost, and it becomes more of a ghost story than mm-hmm. a slasher. He's stalking Helen, kind of. I mean, he is. He's he's stalking Helen, but it he's happens seducing her, right? And it's also happening at such a weird, splotchy like pace, yeah, that it doesn't hold the same tension of that cat and mouse that normal slasher movies well, do. Well, and then the the mouse is not reacting the way that the mouse normally reacts. Right. That's the part that I think I couldn't like articulate earlier when I was thinking about it. But that's like the what I realized when we were talking out is that Helen's reactions to the Candyman feel so unlike a final girl and right. like where that trajectory normally goes. Well, because like I think in a normal slasher movie we get oh like it's almost like a flipped. Like we're not used to seeing someone so competent from the get go unless it's a sequel. Mm-hmm. Like that's how Sydney and Lori are later. You mm-hmm. know, like but she starts out bold, strong, confident, like yeah. independent. And then she kind of, like, wavers, which I think does a good job at showing, like, the fill, the fear this this thing instills, but also it is it is weird, and it feels, like, off balance. Uh, especially, again, because I think, like, a lot of the third act is rushed, so it feels very sudden, too. It's just, like, boom, boom, Yeah, boom, it's, suddenly. like, all of a sudden, what happened to Helen? Right. Um, and, like, I get it, like, he's setting her up, and so he's, like, cutting her life apart in a way that she can't really understand, but she does become, like, particularly helpless. And, like, then just, like, weird things, like, I mean, she gets out of the psych ward and stuff, but, like, none of that, fe- like, she gets out on her own by being smart, really, but, like, mm-hmm. it also feels, like, weird and choppy. Yeah. Um, so I do agree with you there, like, it kind of loses itself. Um, and then the kills are impactful, but not necessarily, like, super traditional i think the only super traditional one is the is the, the psychiatrist one. yeah and the then, actual kill the self yeah. and, and then the, the opening the scene too yeah. yeah but yeah like part part of what really identifies a slasher from a another movie that has slasher beats is the film is set around the kills mm-hmm. like that's really what makes the main act of a slasher film if the if the plot is based around the kills or there just happens to be kills happening in a movie where other things are going on. Right. So, I mean, we already kind of brought up Child's Play. Mm -hmm. And so you think this operates more as a slasher than that, yeah? Or less, I mean. Less. Yeah, which I agree with. And I'd say less than Hellbent. Yes. But right around, like, Final Girls cut New Year's Evil, right around there is where I'm looking. Yeah, I mean, this is sort of where our kind of works as a slasher, but kind of does some weird things that don't work. Land right, of we have some New Year's like Evil, Protos in yeah, here, Santa Slay, Blood yeah, Rage, Santa Slay, which is just like super goofy over the top, but like loses a lot of it because of that. Um, but it might actually Santa Slay might operate better as a slasher uh-huh. than this movie, but. And so does Blood Rage. Yeah. But I'd say it does better than, like, than, than Deep Red and Hospital Massacre. Yeah. 
Because deep red, yeah. man, we just lose so much with it setting the mm-hmm. blueprint and stuff. And like, Hospital Massacre is kind of a movie. Yeah. <laughs> that's what that's Bert, Brennan oh. said. I was like, it was a movie. He's like, but was it? <laughs> I love that we've watched Hospital Massacre now. Um, no, that makes sense to me. I can see that. Because, like, it just... I think if it could have held on to the, some of those things from the beginning all the way I through. I think so, too. Um, which is... So, it's it'll be interesting because we'll do two and three eventually. And it'll be interesting to see because I think we'll have the same trajectory as the child play movies. Because, like, you and I both, like, know that... They the, get more slasher They get more slasher as they go. And I just rewatched, like, Candyman 2 and 3. And, like, they're still supernatural. But, like, dude, like, one of the things you were saying, like, a lot more people say Candyman. Like, a lot more people yeah, say it. because, and, like, I mean, that's what would happen. Yeah, and he's showing up a lot more. And, like, this movie kind of operates... This is more of, like, a story about Helen. Yes. And, like, this ghost haunting her. Yeah. This honestly. movie. Yeah, and I was telling B like, this movie honestly reminds me a lot of The Ring. Where, yeah. like, it does things where it does things. Like, solve this character, this, something's happening to her because yeah. of the situation. And it's a less is more thing. Yeah. Like, the less we saw Samara, the creepier she was. Yeah. Um, and, like, we don't see Candyman a lot in this movie until the end. And even then, it's very brief. And it's, mm-hmm. like, usually very, even rarely, like, we don't see him kill Bernadette. We, the only person we really see him, the only person we see him actually kill is the psychiatrist. Everything else is, like, alluded to and danced around, which makes it creepier. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, those movies, like, two, like, specifically, like, he shows up a lot. He's in a lot of that movie. So, it'll be interesting to see where those go. But uh, Candyman is our new 37. Um, be interested to see what people think about that. This movie is very beloved. I feel like a lot of our movies, I'm like, yeah, people like can get down with that. I know for sure, like when we ranked Child's Play 29, I remember Michelle was like, really? Fucking yeah, there's a few people who were like, yeah. what? It's like, well, I mean, it's like, well, there's a lot of voodoo listen. in that movie. Okay. Is it a good movie? Absolutely. Like, yeah. I think this movie's a good movie. B doesn't, but um, I didn't say I didn't think it was a good movie. I said like I don't movie. like it. Yeah. I didn't say it was bad. Look how can... hot Ice is on our list. Yeah. Their movies can be good, and I cannot like them. That's yeah. allowed. And also, movies this movie can be is, and that's what I've always not said. So good, but still stay truer to a slasher. Form. Yeah, yeah. This movie is just not for me. It's just not my style. That's okay. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying I don't like it. Yeah. Um, we'll be back in two weeks, like normal. Uh, B and I are actually going to sit down and actually plan stuff out. So. We'll let you guys, we'll start letting you guys know and um, get better at, like, the socials and stuff, too. We're going to get more organized. But, uh, if again, as always, if you have any suggestions, please feel free to reach out and let us know. Um, we have taken suggestions from numerous people, including Brennan and Classic Material. And um, what was the one? I mean, Brennan picked Girl Sign Up, which was just so bad. But um, Classic Material picked one of the ones we liked and then one of the ones we didn't like. Um, did I think uh, Classroom Material picked Hospital Massacre, uh-huh. which we actually ended up having fun with. Yeah, like it's goofy, but it, yeah. we had a lot of fun with it. And maybe Iced. Yeah, like, you found Iced, but no, they I, had seen it, right? Yeah. yeah, I don't know. There's been a few things. I'm just like, yeah, all right, let's do it. Yeah, but um, yeah, reach out to us. I mean, we're always open for suggestions. Um, you know, there's not a lot of Easter, St. Patrick's Day themed uh, slasher movies, so we're kind of just like. 
this is this is the time to pick whatever we want to do. So. Yeah, we're just feeling, we're just feeling it. Yeah, I know. We were like trying to decide on when the Candyman trailer dropped. I was like, well, that made the decision for us. So yeah. that's easy. So we'll be back in two weeks, and until then, keep screaming.